Son of a bitch. All right, guys, sorry about that. Long-ass intro because I was having a lighting problem, and I still am, to be fair. But, um, you know what? I think it's better than nothing at the moment. I basically scrapped together at the last minute a little lighting situation that doesn't look as good as it normally does, but it's also not the worst thing in the world. Everything is a little bit too bright because of some sort of fuck-up, but there's nothing that I can do about that now. Um, so, we are just going to have to do the show with a little bit of weird lighting. I would say, um, I would say that sucks, but, you know, whatever, it's not the worst thing in the world. It is not the worst thing in the world by a long shot. So, anyway, just to describe it in a little more detail, there are parts of the screen that are incredibly dark, and then there are other parts, like that giant big-ass light behind me with my name on it, that are just insanely bright. Um, so it's fucked up. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's a fucked up lighting situation, but I don't have time to fix it, and honestly, it's not working when I try to fix it, so this happens from time to time. The lighting just shits the bed randomly. Um, but you know what? It actually is not terrible, and I kind of like it. I kind of like the setting that it's giving. So anyway, giant debate breakdown show today, mofos. That's what we got, a giant debate breakdown show today. So I'm going to start by doing the losers of the night, then I'm going to go to the winners in a separate segment, and then we're going to have fun, and I'm going to go through all the specific segments that caught my eye, and there are many of them. Don't get it twisted. Um, so without further ado, oops, still got the phone on in the background, bitch. All right, without further ado... Here we go. So last night uh, was the third Democratic debate. It was on ABC. And what I want to do with you guys is run through um, this segment will just be for the losers. Uh, then after this, we'll do a segment on the winners. And then I'm going to go ahead and give you like a whole bunch of different specific segments that caught my eye. And there were many. <laughs> there were many viral moments that happened last night. Um, including, I mean, the best one is just Joe Biden rambling incoherently, and he brings up record players to a question about, like, racism and the legacy of slavery. <laughs> it was crazy. But anyway, I digress from that. Um, the losers. Who are the lo losers? Well, first and foremost, ABC. ABC was beyond abysmal. They were like, they probably were the worst of all the debates so far, and that's hard because all of them sucked. So everything was framed from a right-wing perspective, you know, and they acted like when it comes to war that, like, the generals are just, like, these neutral, objective arbiters of truth and, like, not at the generals, you shouldn't get out of Afghanistan, what the heck, and uh, it, was just, it was just terrible across the board. Jorge Ramos uh, asked Bernie Sanders, like, hey, man, what's the difference between you and Maduro? I, I mean, I, I seriously cannot put into words sufficiently just how objectively terrible uh, ABC did. They should be ashamed of themselves. You could put together a Democratic debate with myself and all the other lefty YouTubers, and we would have done way better than they did. Um, okay, 
So that, they're the first loser, and honestly, probably the biggest loser. The second biggest loser, you, do I need to say it? It's just so obvious. Joe Biden. He's a mess, man. It's embarrassing. It's sad. It, it's scary, honestly. Um, he shouldn't be running for president. He shouldn't. He should wrap it up and go, go rest somewhere, watch Murder, She Wrote all day, because he's just out of it. He's so out of it. And um, at this point, I kind of feel bad for him. But then again, he's still the front runner, and people need to know that he's not fit. And you guys know me. I basically never use those kinds of arguments like, oh, he's not fit. What does that mean? Uh, let's talk about policy. Policy is like the most important thing. But when it comes to Joe Biden, no, his mental fitness actually is a serious question. And I take no joy in saying that, but it's true. Um, he got destroyed by everybody on stage. Julian Castro just utterly obliterated him. Biden tried to take on Bernie and Warren on Medicare for All. Big mistake. In, incoherent. When he gets cornered, you know what he did? He was like, we're America. What? <laughs> They're hitting you with specific points on health care, and his reply is like, we're America. And Bernie's like, and the American people don't want to pay double what other developed countries pay for health care. What are you talking about? Just so sad. Second biggest lo loser, Klobuchar. Nobody knows why she's running. She doesn't even know why she's running. She's honestly stuck in the year 1992, and it's sad. It's so sad because she's doing the whole, like, I'm not the loudest voice on the stage, but we already have the loudest voice on the White House. I'm going to represent the middle. Like, ugh, this vapid, vacuous, you know, stand-for-nothing, centrist-style politics is just terrible. It's just so bad. Um, another big loser, in my opinion, was Cory Booker. He just had nothing that stood out to me throughout the night. Um, he also strikes me as one of those people who just can't say what he's trying to say. He just drags it out and, and puts you to sleep. Uh, then I have Kamala. Kamala was another giant loser because, again, she came across to me as just really, really rehearsed. And, like, she tried to land her zingers, but... And doesn't come across as sincere when it looks like you've been waiting to deliver it and, like, you're kind of waiting for that crowd reaction when you lay it out. And that was Kamala all day long. I mean, she had one point where she said uh, to Biden, when Biden questioned the constitutionality of just, uh, I think, just taking people's guns, he was like, That's, you can't do that constitutionally. And she, like, paused and was like, well, what I say to that is, yes, we can. You get it? Because you, you and Obama, that was your, that was your thing. <laughs> uh, 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 you got to stop planning out these terrible lines. <laughs> um, another loser, in my opinion, uh, Buttigieg. You know, he's, I feel like the more he's out there, he was able to kind of keep it together in the sense that he's like, he appears to be the best of the centrist options, which isn't saying much. It's like being the tallest kid in kindergarten. But, like, now it appears like his shtick is just getting old and stale and it's transparent. And he actually tried to take on Bernie at a few points because I guess his advisors thought, we got to make a splash here, so let's do it. And uh, it was just, it fell so flat and he's so smarmy. And some of the things he says, like, he was arguing against Medicare for All in an incredibly disingenuous way, sticking to the argument of, like, but you don't trust the American people because you're taking away 
their choice. Oh, your choice. Yes. The, the choice humpers are so obnoxious because, again, it's just a category error, man. You would find it ridiculous if somebody was like, you know, was saying, let's privatize the fire department. And you should have a choice. You should have a choice of what kind of fire insurance you want and which which fire department comes to put out your fire. You'd be like, what? No, when it's on fire, just put it out. What are you fucking talking about? That's the way it works for a reason. Um, well, it's the same thing with health care. You know how it should work? Sick health. Sick health. You know how it should work? I want to go to the doctor. I'm going to go to the doctor. What he's saying is like, People should have the option to be ripped off by an unnecessary, rapacious, mafia-like middleman. And it's just, it's so stupid. I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, and the final loser, in my opinion, and some people disagree with me on this, but I'll argue on this one until I'm blue in the face, son. Beto. I think Beto was bad. Um, it's weird because he tries to, like, outleft people on the exact issues where outlefting them is not necessarily a political winner. So stop and reflect on that for a second, because that's a really important point. If you want to win not just a primary but a general, you got to go all in on the economic populism, okay? you got to go over the top with that stuff, because that's the stuff where the polls already show people overwhelmingly agree with us. So if you double down on that and triple down on that and take no prisoners and outflank everybody on the left on economic stuff, you're giving yourself the best chance to win. Beto is milk toast on all that stuff, of course. But then where he tries to elect everybody is stuff like guns. And last night, he was just flat out saying, like, yeah, I'm going to come take your guns. Well, wait, what? <laughs> is that even constitutional? I don't, I don't even think that's constitutional. You can't just, like, take them. You know, what, what are you talking about? You can't do that. Now, if you want to have a discussion about, like, a voluntary buyback thing, sure, that's a reasonable discussion to have, and that'd be totally constitutional. But to just take them and do it, I guess, through the executive branch only – and do a mandatory buyback, which is like literally confiscation. I don't. That's not something that's overwhelmingly popular. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh, universal background checks over ninety percent popular. Yes, people actually lean. A majority are in favor of banning assault weapons. A majority are in favor of banning high capacity magazines. All that's perfectly reasonable. But he flat out argued not for any of those positions for gun confiscation, mandatory. So in other words, he's like, I will become that like caricature of a lefty that the right-wingers have. Now, again, you might agree with him on that policy. I don't think I do. I really, you know, I think that goes a little too far. But whether or not you agree with him is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is, there's no polling that indicates that that's an overwhelmingly popular position. Now, you can say, hey, man, but he actually believes that as a matter of principle, and that's why he's arguing for it, so credit him for that. Maybe. That might be true. And and. In which case, I would say, okay, good, good, because he's at least arguing for something he really cares about. But I have a bad feeling it's not even necessarily that. It's that he knows he has to make a splash because he's doing terrible in the polls. So he needs to find a way to try to outflank everybody and make a name for himself and get headlines. And this is the issue that he picked. And he landed on gun confiscation. And so I don't know if it's more a sincere belief or it's just this is his strategy to try to get back in the race. I lean in favor of the latter. I think it's more of a strategy for him to get back in the race, and it's just one of those issues where you're not necessarily going to win by outflanking everybody on this issue because it's not necessarily a popular one. Sorry. <laughs> so, you know, and again, I know some people disagree with me on the better one, but I don't think he did well. Uh, I really don't. Uh, so those are all the losers. The biggest loser, again, is ABC, 
and then the second biggest loser is Biden, and then everybody else is just kind of tied and, you know, in the wilderness here. So um, there you have it. Now, will this, will my commentary be reflected in the polls? Well, that's yet to be seen. Um, you know, I don't know how this will land. Perhaps some of the people who I think did poorly, other people think they did well. But, you know, again, if that is true, it will reflect over time in the polling, but that's my breakdown of it nonetheless. Okay, next. So let's talk about the winners from last night's Democratic debate. It was the third Democratic debate. It was on ABC. ABC was absolutely abysmal. Uh, we already went through who the losers were in a separate segment. But now, um, the winners. And allow me to say, there were a few of them. There were a few of them. So first and foremost, America's dad, Bernie Sanders. Here some people are going to say, Kyle, you're biased. Uh, but I don't think I am. I mean, I do love Bernie, but that's beside the point. I think that for the first maybe 35 or 40 percent of the debate, he was struggling. But it was just because of the hoarseness in his voice. It's obvious he's been on the campaign trail for a long time, and um, he's been doing a lot of rallies, and he's, he's, he just threw his voice out, man. His voice is very hoarse. He lost it because he's busy, you know, trying to save the country. That annoying thing. Uh, so I don't know how much you can hold it against him. Um, you know, is it possible that voters will hold it against him? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yet to be seen. You could say the optics are bad. Um, but I don't, by like 35 to 40% of the way through the debate, his voice got a little bit better. And uh, he really started hammering home on uh, his points and hitting his stride. So I think he ultimately did a very good job. And um, I do think he was one of the big winners of the night. Now, another big winner is Elizabeth Warren. I mean, she, in these debates, regardless of what you think of her substantively, and again, there are criticisms of her substantively that I've brought up, I've done many of them, um, but the way she's trying to come across in these debates, and she's kind of succeeding at doing it, is, you know, I am like Bernie, but a little wonkier. Like, that's the, the lane she's going for. Um, now, again, that's not to comment on what she's like substantively, because we all know she's Bernie-like at best, because she's got giant blind spots on, like, all of foreign policy, for example, among many other issues. But the lane she's, she's paid for herself is, I'm going to be, like, the wonkier version of Bernie. And she's kind of unapologetically siding with him in all of the intra-party debates that happen within the primary debate. So I think she does come across well in that respect, so I think she's one of the winners also. You know, maybe there's a criticism of she's still a little too professorial in such a populist age, but, I mean, she's walking that line in a decent way, man, and you could see why she surges in the polls in recent months. So Bernie and Warren, big winners. Another winner, and this is one that I saw on Twitter, some people disagreed with me on, but I really think it's the case. Yang. I mean, Yang is a, and I have disagreements with him. Everybody knows that. Crystal clear. I'm not a Yang supporter. 
Um, but he's different. He's a different kind of candidate. He's not an establishment candidate. There is a reason why he's running. He obviously very deeply cares about his universal basic income, and he's pushing for that come hell or high water. Um, but then he's also giving decent answers on a lot of the other questions on foreign policy. I think he always gives a good answer. He always leads with, you know, I signed a pledge to get out of our forever wars, and then he goes on to explain his position on that. Uh, I have a massive, massive, massive disagreement with him on charter schools. Apparently he's a proponent of charter schools. But, however, to a apolitical observer watching that debate, when that question was posed to him about charter schools, he handled it well. You know, he basically said, no, no, I'm, I'm pro-good school. That's my whole position is I'm pro-good school, pay teachers more. But, yes, effectively, he's like, I'm kind of pro-charter school. But he didn't say it. He found an artful way to kind of get around that question. Now, again, and sorry, hashtag gang gang, I, he is too libertarian for my tastes. That doesn't mean, because this is where they you know, misrepresent my position, they act like I'm saying he's libertarian. I didn't say that. I said he's too libertarian for my tastes which is a factually correct statement. Now, why do I say that? Well, there was that provision on his website which spoke about uh, doing an automatic sunset clause on regulations. I forget the time frame that he gave, but it was you know, a matter of years. You automatically sunset government regulations. I think that's an abysmal idea. Um, he went on Jimmy Dore show, and Jimmy Dore asked him about, about a living wage, $15 minimum wage, and he's against it. Now, in his defense, he says, well, I have, another, I have other ways of getting there, so, you know, but that's, I don't support that policy. Okay, well, I support a $15 minimum wage. What do I want to tell you? <laughs> so um, I have massive disagreements with him. However, fact of the matter is, he's a unique candidate. He's an interesting candidate. He's not an establishment candidate. He's carved himself a lane in this race, and he's doing really well with it. I get nothing but joy out of the fact that Andrew Yang is beating, like, 10 of the, you know, more establishment candidates handily. I get nothing but joy out of that. So I do think he was one of the winners because, again, he's got a lot going on, and he's interesting. He's not a standard boring politician. Okay. And then finally, this person's a big winner in my opinion. It's fascinating to see the fallout, though, from his performance because the reaction in the media is not the reaction I had. I think Castro did a wonderful job. Now, does it matter? No, because he's so low in the polls and he's going nowhere. But here's the thing. I think he knows that, and I think that's why he did such a good job. It kind of reminds me of uh, Chris Christie. When he was, you know, he was done. He had no chance. It was like the last debate he was going to qualify for. He was polling so low. And he was like, fuck it. I'm going balls to the wall, and I'm going right for little Marco's jugular. And he did, and it was really good, (laughs) and he destroyed him famously. So... I saw the same kind of thing with Castro. Now, interestingly, you would think Castro would maybe throw his lot in with the Biden wing and the Kamala wing, you know, and be like be a little more on the establishment safe side. No. It looks to me like Julian Castro knows where the energy of the party is, knows it's with Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and, and, and those characters on stage. So he's kind of throwing his lot in with them. And he went after Biden viciously, but it was kind of badass. He really schooled him in a variety of different ways, and we're going to cover uh, that segment in a little bit. Like, I'll give you the specifics. I'll show you the clips. But um, I think he did a great job. Now, mainstream media is saying, how dare you? He didn't do a great job, and he was too harsh. And, you know, 
I can't believe he said the thing he said about Joe Biden, and they're pulling the offended card, and they're acting like he crossed a line. Nonsense! He didn't cross a line. Oh, please. He was like, he kind of pointed out Biden's cognitive decline, because he's like, you just said the opposite thing two minutes ago. Did you forget that? And they're like, oh, how dare you bring up such a thing? How impolite. But he's right! He's right! What do you mean? You think people at home are not realizing Biden's cognitive decline? It's obvious. Now, it's not his age. It's not ageist. He's not saying because he's old. No, he's saying, no, the issue is he has cognitive decline. If he was 23 and he had cognitive decline, you could point out the cognitive decline if he's trying to be the most powerful person in the world who makes all the decisions. So the media is like, no, you've gone too far, good sir. And he's like, no, agree to disagree. So... I think Castro is 100% right, and I think that this is, this is how the media subtly, you know, has their own favorites that they pick and choose, you know? And they like Biden more than they like Castro, and so they're like, just defend Biden. Let's just defend him in this instance and say, how dare you? You're so impolite. You're so uncivil. Um, this is not something that should be in the realm of debate and discussion. So we're going to ostracize you now and act like you're the problem. Nonsense. It's, it's an establishment protection racket for... Joe Biden, I think Castro did a wonderful job. Now, again, it's not going to matter because he's so low in the polls, but clearly on his way out the door, he's throwing some haymakers at people, and he's throwing his lot in with Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, and he's banking on one of them winning and then hopefully gunning for maybe a position in the administration. That's the sense I got. That's the Machiavellian angle of that all. Uh, But either way, winners, in my opinion, were pretty clear throughout the night. Bernie, Warren, Castro, and Yang. Okay. Son of a peach, son of a peach. All right, let's go to, um, honestly, one of the most embarrassing debate uh, answers of all time. I'm going to give you some specific clips now. Ready? All right, so this is one of the worst debate fails of all time. Um it's up there with Rick Perry when he was like, and the three uh, departments I'm going to eliminate in the government are uh, FDA, one other, and uh, I forgot. Oops. <laughs> this is right up there with that legendary moment. Joe Biden, you'll see here, he's asked a question about racial issues, and he goes off in this rambling tirade, and he winds up bringing up record players and words and uh, you know what enough with the intro just take a look at the clip so, Vice President, I want to come to you and talk to you about inequality in schools and race in a conversation about how to deal with segregation in schools back in 1975 you told a reporter I don't feel responsible for the sins of my father and grandfather. I feel responsible for what the situation is today, for the sins of my own generation, and I'll be damned if I feel responsible to pay for what happened 300 years ago. You said that.
some 40 years ago. But as you stand here tonight, what responsibility do you think that Americans need to take to repair the legacy of slavery in our country? Well, they have to deal with the, the look, there is institutional segregation in this country. And from the time I got involved, I started dealing with that. Redlining, banks, making sure that we are in a position where, look, we talk about education. I propose that what we take is those very poor schools, the Title I schools, triple the amount of money we spend from 15 to 45 billion a year, give every single teacher a raise for the equal raise of getting out of the, the $60,000 level. Number two, make sure that we bring in to help the, the students, the, the teachers deal with the problems that come from home. The problems that come from home, we need, we have one school psychologist for every 1,500 kids in America today. It's crazy. The teachers are, and I'm married to a teacher, my deceased wife is a teacher. They have every problem coming to them. We have to make sure that every single child does, in fact, have three, four, and five-year-olds go to school. School, not daycare. School. We bring social workers into homes and parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't, want, they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. Bro, what? Come on, come on, come on, dude. Come on, Joe. Come on, Joe. Joe, I'm going to need you to step aside, man. I mean, that was... He's asked about racial issues, and he ends up talking about, like, we need every child to go to school, not daycare, school, school. We need social workers, they don't... You know, parents don't know how to raise the kids. We're going to, you know, what you got to do is you have to play the radio and the television and 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 the phone and the, to play the record player and make sure they hear words. What? <laughs> I think what he's trying to say is like, oh, if we get the parents more involved with the kids and the kids are surrounded by an environment that's stimulating, that that'll help. But, dude, you're asked a question about, like, you know, the history of race in this country and what your old opinion was and if you agree with it now, and you basically go off on a tangent about, like, personal responsibility and how, like, black parents need to raise their kids better. I mean, that's the gist of what he's saying, right? He's saying it in a ridiculous way where he's rambling and going all over the place, but I think that's the gist of what he's saying. So even if you're incredibly charitable to him, that's a terrible answer. <laughs> like, that's a really bad answer. Holy shit. I can't, the people, Rob Rousseau on Twitter did this, and it made me laugh my ass off. He posted, like, a, you know, a picture of Biden, and it says, like, Biden 2020, and then it has this quote underneath, the rambling part at the end, where he's like, uh, you know, oh, you can play, play the record player and the television and the phone and make... Make sure the kids hear words. Make sure the kids hear words. Play the record player. You know, it's so... Here's the really sad part about all this. You could tell by Biden's tone and how he's speaking, his cadence, his rhythm, you could tell that in his mind, he's... He thinks he's doing, like, the soaring rhetoric where, you know, I'm telling it like it is, middle-class Joe. 
just being a straight shooter over here. That's what's going on in, in his own head. But the fact of the matter is, he doesn't really have these, like, strong, principled beliefs. So he ends up having that, like, really confident tone while he's saying nothing. And it comes out as just pure gibberish. And that's what you just heard right there. Now compare and contrast that with Bernie Sanders, who's out there, and he talks in a very strong tone, and he's like, we're going to do Medicare for all, we're going to do free college, we're going to do a living wage, we're going to end the wars. And he can go on and on about the policy, and I believe in this, and this is my record, and I'm not taking any corporate money, and so on and so forth. But he's got that tone, and there's actual substance to back it up. Joe Biden is just flailing in the wilderness, speaking in an aggressive tone and saying stuff like, we got to make sure every child goes to school, not daycare, school, school. we got to make sure that you got social workers in the home and that you have the, the, you play the, for kids the, the radio and, and the record player and the TV and the phone. They make sure the kids hear words. and Oh, God, Joe. Come on, man. Come on, dude. Now, the final point I'll make in this segment is this. Mainstream media is covering for Joe Biden right now. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. You know, it. the debate was recently. It was last night. I've already seen three articles in major publications. New York Times is one. Washington Post is another. And I'm blanking on the third. Where they're saying, like, Joe Biden did no harm to himself tonight. No, 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 no. That is you going into the debate with your mind made up and working backwards from your conclusion. That's all that is. That's all that is. Now, some might throw that criticism at me, too. But my response is, there's plenty of times I've said on this show, candidates I don't like are the candidates who won. And vice versa. There's times I said, Bernie had a bad night last night, man. He didn't do well last night. So I'm trying my best to put aside my bias. I'm not acting like I'm a, you know, an objectivity machine or anything, but I try my best to try to view it from the perspective of somebody who's apolitical or somebody who doesn't think necessarily like I do. No, they're leaning into their bias and pretending like they're not biased. On what planet can you look at that debate and say, oh, Biden did no, he did no harm to himself, I don't know. He knew what he had to do. Mainstream media has their preferred candidates. And they push for them. The only difference is they're not honest about it. They're not upfront with it. They lie to you and pretend like that we're objective, we're neutral, we're just calling it like it is. And then they push for their candidates. And this is what you saw here. You know who else they said did really well last night? Kamala. There's nothing she said or did that stood out. Nothing. Now, again, you can say, Kyle, you're biased. You don't like Kamala. I said she did really well in an earlier debate. I think it was the first debate. I was like, she, had, she did a good job, man. She did a good job. So it's not about that. It's about the fact I really don't think she did well. But there, uh, uh, Kamala did well. Yeah, Biden did well, um, even though Biden was tripping all over his words and rambling like a lunatic. He referenced record players in a primary debate in the year of our Lord, 2019. Record players. <laughs> The kids need to hear words. (laughs) You couldn't make this stuff up if you tried. All right. 
right, Jorge Ramos. Let's talk about how evil and terrible he is. Because he is. So one of the reasons that uh, new media and independent media has spiked in popularity is honestly not necessarily because we're so good at our jobs. It's because mainstream media is just so terrible at their jobs. Um, now, what you're going to see here is, I think, a really, really good example of this. Because this is a question that has been posed to Bernie Sanders roughly 900 times. Um, everybody knows that that's the case, but they're going to ask this question anyway. Why is Jorge Ramos going to ask the question that you're about to see? Because it, it's, it's like a push-pull. You know what push-pulls are? They frame it in a way where they're actually doesn't even matter what your answer is. They're just planting an idea in your head. That's what this is. It's a push question. It's like, let me just throw it out there and plant this seed in everybody's mind so you go, oh, he must be out of bounds because look at what they said about him. So here's the question. Jorge Ramos is going to, you know, basically ask Bernie, hey, how are you any different from, you know, this uh, authoritarian communist leader whose country is collapsing? By the way, at least in part because of U.S. sanctions too, but don't bring that up. But how are you any different from this guy who – you know, it's widely agreed upon in the West is totally evil. Are you different from this massively evil person? Uh, Senator Sanders, one country where many immigrants are arriving from is Venezuela. A recent UN fact-finding mission found that thousands have been disappeared, tortured, and killed by government forces in Venezuela. You admit that Venezuela does not have free elections, but still you refuse to call Nicolás Maduro a dictator, a dictator. Can you explain why, and what are the main differences between your kind of socialism and the one being imposed in Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua? Well, first of all, let me be very clear. Anybody who does what Maduro does is a vicious tyrant. What we need now is international and regional cooperation for free elections in Venezuela so that the people of that country can make and can create their own future. In terms of democratic socialism, to equate what goes on in Venezuela with what I believe is extremely unfair. I'll tell you what I believe in terms of democratic socialism. I agree with what goes on in Canada and in Scandinavia, guaranteeing health care to all people as a human right. I believe that the United States should not be the only major country on earth not to provide paid family and medical leave. I believe that every worker in this country deserves a living wage and that we expand the trade union movement. I happen to believe also that what, to me, democratic socialism means is we deal with an issue we do not discuss enough, Jorge, not in the media and not in Congress. You got three people in America owning more wealth than the bottom half of this country. You got a handful of billionaires controlling what goes on in Wall Street, the insurance companies, and in the media. Maybe, just me, maybe, what we should be doing is creating an economy that works for all of us, not 1%. That's my understanding of democratic socialism. Great answer by Bernie. That's obvious. He really knocked it out of the park there. It was basically the perfect answer, okay? But... This is so frustrating because differentiating between standard social democracy and authoritarian communism 
that's not even politics 101. That's like before you even get into politics 101. This is like the most basic ideological difference imaginable. I mean, this is like, it's like asking Bernie Sanders, hey man, how are you different from, how is a, a, a liberal different from a conservative? How is a fascist different from a communist? How's a libertarian different from whatever, fill in the blank, socialist? This is so basic. It's so basic. By the way, ask actual communists, Marxists, uh, what they think of Bernie Sanders' ideology. They'll be the first to tell you. No, he's a, he's a social democrat. He's significantly to the right of us. They'll tell you that. <laughs> They'll tell you immediately. Now, many of them still support him because he's the furthest left option in the race. But this is, like, so incredibly basic. And, you know, you can maybe explore this question, but explore it in a value-neutral way, which isn't a massively loaded question, which isn't smearing up front. So you could ask, hey, what's the difference between social democracy and communism? And let them go off. But no, they had to throw in Maduro there. So, and they've done this before with other fill-in-the-blank, with people who are widely regarded as abysmal, terrible, authoritarian leaders in the West, and they've compared Bernie to those people. And it's just incredibly frustrating, because the whole idea is just plant that seed in people's minds. It's not even like, he might give a perfect answer. But the trick was in the framing of the question up front. That's what we just saw right there. So it's just incredibly annoying. So just to give one example, we don't need to go into too, uh, too many details here, but... And, and just for the record, there are people on the left who were pissed at Bernie for that answer because they're like, he was actually too hard on Maduro there. He didn't bring up the sanctions, the U.S. sanctions, which are obliterating the country, and you have to bring up the sanctions in any conversation about Venezuela. Um, so there are people on the left who were pissed about his answer there, just uh, for the record. But So uh, Maduro has done authoritarian controls of the media. Now... Many people who are pro-Maduro might argue, hey, man, there's a war being waged against him, so that's necessary. I don't agree with that. I, I believe as a matter of principle in, in a, a, you know, a free press. But to conflate somebody who does that with Bernie Sanders is insanity. Bernie Sanders obviously believes in the First Amendment. He obviously believes in a free press. Anytime he criticizes the media, it's because they do a bad job, not because he's saying, I want to use government controls to try to force you to do X, Y, or Z. So it's just an insane, you know, thing to compare him with. Also, the idea that Bern, like the idea that Bernie is potentially in favor of going totally post-capitalist, that's just factually untrue. There are many things he wants to say, we shouldn't leave this to the private market, or we could have some stuff in the private market but regulate it. But he's not totally post-capitalist. In no way, shape, or form is he in favor of that. You're telling me Bernie Sanders would want to nationalize, I don't know, the car industry, you want to nationalize the fucking couch industry, furniture industry, whatever it might be, video games? No! Bernie is a milk toast FDR-style social democrat, and everybody who's remotely educated in politics and honest about politics will tell you that! But they have to, what's, you know, you and Maduro, hey, rip on that, Bernie. Oh, god damn it. Oh! I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, and you saw him smiling at the beginning. That's one of those smiles of like, I can't believe I'm getting this bullshit again. I can't believe I'm getting it again. But he did. He got it again. Wonderful answer. Terrible question. And yet again, this is why 
people are are fleeing traditional media and coming to new media and independent media like this outlet because we're honest, we're upfront. And it, you know, even when I have a bias, I'll tell you I have a bias. I'll tell you what I think about the issue. These guys pretend like they're not biased and they're objective, and then they go and ask the most loaded, dumb question in human history to the furthest left candidate. And that was the point. The point was to smear up front. The point was to conflate them. Just get Maduro and Bernie in the same sentence. That's the whole point. So incredibly embarrassing, incredibly stupid. They should be ashamed of themselves. And unfortunately, I do expect a lot more of this to happen in the future. Okay. All right. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, the debate exploded last night on the issue of health care. I'm going to play that whole video for you. Um, and then I got a lot more on the debate, including terrible question from ABC host David Muir. Stay right there. We'll be right back with all of that and more.
All right, you skeety bitches, we back. Oh boy, uh oh, spaghettios. All right, we shall continue. There are many, 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 many stories left. I have many, many stories left to talk to you about. Unbelievable. I can't tell if the fucked up lighting is actually better than normal or worse than normal or roughly the same. It definitely looks different in here. I got the blue light behind me. Anyway. All right, let me go to the healthcare clip. Guys, this is a long one. I'm going to warn you up front. This is a very long one, but it's worth it. Every second is worth it. So the Democratic debate last night exploded on the issue of health care. Um, I'm going to show you a very long clip here, but it's really important. It's Bernie and Warren versus Biden. I don't think Biden knew what he was getting himself into. Both Senators Warren and Sanders want to replace Obamacare with Medicare for all. You want to build on Obamacare, not scrap it. They propose spending far more than you to combat climate change and tackle student loan debt, and they would raise more in taxes than you to pay for their programs. Are Senators Warren and Sanders pushing too far beyond where Democrats want to go and where the country needs to go? That'll be for the voters to decide that question. Let me tell you what I think. I think we should have a debate on health care. I think uh, I know that the senator says she's for Bernie. Well, I'm for Barack. I think the Obamacare worked. I think the way in which we add to it, replace everything that's been cut, add a public option, guarantee that everyone will be able to have affordable assurance, number one. Number two, I think we should be in a position of taking a look at what costs are. My plan for health care costs a lot of money. It costs $740 billion. It doesn't cost $30 trillion. $3.4 trillion a year, it turns out, is twice what the entire federal budget is. That's before it exists now, without interest on the debt. How are we going to pay for it? I want to hear tonight how that's happened. So far, my distinguished friend, the senator on my left, does not, has not indicated how she pays for it. And the senator has, in fact, come forward and said how he's going to pay for it, but it gets about halfway there. There's a lot of other things that need to be done. I have a bold plan to deal with making sure we triple the money for at-risk schools that are uh, Title I schools from, 40, from uh, 15 to $45 billion a year. But I go down the line, and each of the things we're talking about, I lay out how I can pay for it, how I can get it done, and why it's better. So let's be clear about health care, and let's actually start where Vice President did. We all owe a huge debt to President Obama, who fundamentally transformed health care in America and committed this country to health care for every human being. And now the question is, how best can we improve on it? And I believe the best way we can do that is we make sure that everybody gets covered by health care at the lowest possible cost. How do we pay for it? We pay for it. Those at the very top, the richest individuals and the biggest corporations, are going to pay more. And middle-class families are going to pay less. That's how this is going to work. Direct question. You said middle-class families are going to pay less, but will middle-class taxes go up to pay for the program? I know you believe that the deductibles and the premiums will go down. Will middle-class taxes go up? Will private insurance be eliminated? But what families have to deal with is cost, total cost. 
That's what they have to deal with. And understand, families are paying for their health care today. Families pay every time an insurance company says, sorry, you can't see that specialist. Every time an insurance company says, sorry, that doctor is out of network. Sorry, we are not covering that prescription. Families are paying every time they don't get a prescription filled because they can't pay for it. They don't have a lump checked out because they can't afford the copay. What we're talking about here is what's going to happen in families' pockets, what's going to happen in their budgets. And the answer is on Medicare for All. Costs are going to go up for wealthier individuals and costs are going to go up for giant corporations. But for hardworking families across this country, costs are going to go down and that's how it should work under Medicare for All in our health care center. Sanders, you were invoked by the Vice President. Also take on that question about taxes. Uh, Joe said that uh, Medicare for All would cost over $30 trillion. That's right, Joe. Status quo over 10 years will be $50 trillion. Every study done shows that Medicare for All is the most cost-effective approach to providing health care to every man, woman, and child in this country. I wrote the damn bill, if I may say so.
instead of paying premiums into insurance companies and then having insurance companies build their profits by saying no to coverage, we're going to do this by saying everyone is covered by Medicare for All, every health care provider is covered, and the only question here in terms of difference is where to send the bill. Senator Sanders, let us be clear, Joe. In the United States of America, we are spending twice as much per capita on health care as the Canadians or any other major country on earth. It's America. Yeah, but Americans don't want to pay twice as much as other countries. And they guarantee health care to all people. Under my Medicare for All proposal, when you don't pay out of pocket and you don't pay premiums, maybe you'll run into people who love their premiums. I haven't. What people want is cost-effective health care. Medicare for All will save the average American substantial sums of money on his or her health care bill. My favorite part of that was at the end when Bernie Sanders is bringing up relevant facts to the debate. He's like, Americans are paying twice as much as the rest of the developed world. And Biden's response is, this is America. And then, like, so are you saying it's good that we pay twice as much as the rest of the developed world? And we don't even cover everybody in the process? Dude. Joe Biden is is flat out in over his head. I mean, that was brilliant. Brilliant. Now, it's a fair question to say, well, how committed is, is Elizabeth Warren truly to Medicare for all? She just released her own plan the other day. And there are giant question marks. She still uses she doesn't use the phrase single payer at all in her entire bill, and she uses the weasel words access to health care. So is she fully committed? Still an open question, man. It's not she she I'm certainly not hundred percent convinced that she would fight for it like Bernie would fight for it, okay? But let me digress from that because for the purposes of this conversation with that exchange we just watched, they were brilliant tag teams. I mean, they just obliterated him in 30,000 ways. So, um, of course, the first thing that comes up, because these people are fundamentally incapable of listening, digesting a point, and then self-correcting, is uh, the cost. How much is it going to cost? I'm going to How are you going to pay for it is now officially the dumbest response to Medicare for All because it's been sufficiently answered about a thousand times. The answer is we pay for it by eliminating the private taxes that you're paying to rapacious mafia-like for-profit middlemen and raising the public taxes. But you still save money. Understand? So when we eliminate the private tax and we raise the public tax, you still save money because the private tax was more than the public tax will be. Full stop. So when you say, how are you going to pay for it? No. The real question is, how are you going to pay for the status quo? Because that is unaffordable. So I'm just, I'm so sick of that shit. And then notice, see, this is how you know they're ideologically committed. George Stephanopoulos with his framing in the middle there. He's like, okay, I know you want to eliminate premiums, co-pays, deductibles. And I know it's going to save everybody money, but will middle class taxes go up? You know why they do that, right? They just want that sound bite. 
because they want to take it out of context. Will middle class taxes go up? And then if you say yes, they'll, that's it. They won't give the rest of the context, and a thousand articles will be written that'll say, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, yes, I want to raise middle class taxes. These people are smear merchants, guys. They have an ideology, and they're pushing for it. So it's just, it's utterly disgusting because, and this is why, by the way, I favor my framing on this issue, because it's the only way to get out of that trick. That's the only way. When they ask you, are you going to raise middle class taxes? You go, no, I'm not. What do you mean? How are you going to pay for Medicare for all? Well, if I eliminate the private taxes, which are more, and I raise the public taxes, I'm saving you money. So I'm not raising taxes because I'm eliminating the private taxes. So you can just answer no and then explain it. You deny them the soundbite when you say it that way. Because if you say it any other way, yes, that's it. They got you. Because they're going to they're gonna take it out of context 100%. Um, and I love Biden bragging about, like, the most, oh, the most you'll pay out of pocket is $1,000. That's a lot of money, dog. <laughs> That's a lot of money. What's the uh, statistic? I forgot. It's like more than half the country can't afford a $500 emergency. 76% of the country is living paycheck to paycheck. Any casualty is like, oh, $1,000 is the most you pay out of pocket. That's not something to brag about. And then Biden just flat out lies. Because he says, oh, they'll pay $5,000 more. No, they won't. They'll save money with Medicare for all. See, what he does is, what he's doing is saying, oh, if you add a Medicare for all system on top of our current health care system, so in other words, don't reform our system, just add a whole new health care system on top of our system, oh, then it would cost you $5,000 more. But that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. Oh, my God, they're so disingenuous. Um, but again, my favorite part, by far, <laughs> is... Bernie's like, we pay twice as much as every other developed country. And Biden's like, this is America. <laughs> Was that supposed to be a point? Because <laughs> it's not. It's really terrible, and it makes you look as out of touch and incoherent as you are. Okay. Now we go to David Muir. You're going to see a back and forth here with Bernie and Biden on the issue of the Iraq war. But the question is really the reason why I'm showing this to you. All right, let me set this up. So ABC host David Muir, I think that's how you say his name, um, he asked a really terrible question here on foreign policy. And then Bernie and Biden got into it over this. Um, so Bernard ends up dropping the people's elbow, which is glorious, but the thing that really got under my skin more than anything was the framing of the question. Take a look. Because concerns about uh, any possible vacuum being created, can be created in Afghanistan if you pull the U.S. troops out, uh, has been heightened by what we've seen in recent days on the ground in Iraq. Uh, when you were Vice President, President Obama turned to you to bring the troops home from Iraq. You have said on the campaign trail, quote, I made sure the President turned to me and said, Joe, get our combat troops out of Iraq. There was a major drawdown of U.S. troops, and then ISIS seized, by some estimates, 40% of the territory in Iraq. You then had to send thousands of troops back in. Was it wrong to pull out of Iraq that quickly, and did the move actually help ISIS take hold? No, it wasn't wrong to pull up. I'm going to answer an Afghanistan question. I've been in and out of Afghanistan, not with a gun, and I've admired my friend uh, for his service. But I've been out of Afghanistan, I think, more than anybody on this, on this, and it's an open secret. 
you reported a long time ago, George, that I was opposed to the surge in Afghanistan. The whole purpose of going to Afghanistan was to not have a counterinsurgency, meaning that we're going to put that country together. It cannot be put together. With regard to, uh, with, with regard to um, uh, Iraq, the fact of the matter is that, uh, you know, I should have never voted to give Bush the authority to go in and do what he said he was going to do. The AUMF was designed, he said, to go in and get the Security Council to vote 15 to nothing to allow inspectors to go in to determine whether or not anything was being done with chemical weapons or nuclear weapons. And when that happened, he went ahead and went anyway without any of that proof. You talked about the big mistake uh, in Iraq and the surge. The truth is, the big mistake, the huge mistake, and one of the big differences between you and me, I never believed what Cheney and Bush said about Iraq. We voted against the war in Iraq and helped lead the opposition. And it's sad to say, I mean, I kind of you know, had the feeling that there would be massive destabilization in that area uh, if we went into that war. Uh, as the former chairman of the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs, I want to pick up on what Pete said, we cannot express our gratitude to all of the men and women who have put their lives on the line to defend them, defend us, who have responded to the call of duty. But I think also I am the only person up here to have voted against all three of Trump's military budgets. I don't think we have to spend $750 billion a year on the military, but we don't even know who our enemy is. That was awesome. Um, and that was a very, very, very subtle dig at Elizabeth Warren as well, which is exactly the kind of digs I'm in favor of when it comes to her. You got to be a little more careful because she's a closer ideological ally with you than anybody else, okay? And they have done some awesome tag teams against other people, which you love to see it. You love to see it. But you still have to make distinctions between you and her. And that's a really, really, really powerful one that he made without even, you know, like rubbing it in. But he's like, I'm the only one up here, man. I'm the only one up here that voted against all of Trump's military budget. Hell yes. Hell yes. And by the way, it is infuriating that virtually the entire Democratic Party in Washington, D.C. loves to scream about how, oh my God, Donald Trump is a thin-skinned maniac lunatic who shouldn't have his finger anywhere near the red button. He's unfit for office. And oh yeah, I'm going to give a $100 billion increase in military spending to him. And I'm going to give him also increased NSA spying powers. Half the idiots in D.C. say, oh, uh, Trump is a puppet to Vladimir Putin and he's a Manchurian candidate. And then they turned around and voted to give him more NSA spying powers. So that means you're literally in favor of also giving Putin spying powers because that's what you say you believe. So they're, they're so full of shit. But Bernie's principled and he voted against those military budgets because he doesn't believe in them. So I love that. Um, Making the distinction again between him and uh, Joe Biden on the war in Iraq. I never believed Cheney and Bush. Nailed it. Because guess what? What does that show you? Joe Biden, in the heat of the moment, will always do what's politically convenient and easy. And all the pressure was from the establishment to be pro-war, and so he buckled. 
and he was like very vociferously arguing in favor of that early on. So what happens the next time there's this massive push towards war? You want somebody in there who's objective and who's rational, who's going to go, I don't know about all this. I don't know about all this. So um, that's why Bernie's just in another league. But the framing of the question pissed me off more than anything, guys. I have to tell you, because he said, he framed it as, what about the vacuum that was created in Iraq when you pulled out? Did you pull out of Iraq too quickly? Are you kidding me? See, the framing of that question is pro-war. The framing of the question is, hey, isn't it the more reasonable thing? Isn't it the more adult thing to stay in there longer? Or if you do withdraw, withdraw slower? No, the problem was that we ever went in there in the first place. That's the problem. Full stop. End of conversation. You didn't see it in this clip, but later on in this exchange, or perhaps it was earlier on, I don't remember, but it was in the exchange about war. Another question from David Muir was framed from the perspective of, what about the generals? What happens if the generals come in and tell you, sir, it's not a good idea to withdraw our troops? Are you kidding me? We've been in Iraq since 2003. We've been in Afghanistan since 2001. 18 years we've been in Afghanistan. How much longer, David? See, he pretends, the question pretends as if the generals are just objective arbiters of truth when they're actually massively political actors. And oftentimes they're pro-war when it makes no sense to be. Look at what happened with Vietnam. Generals kept prodding Lyndon B. Johnson and saying, oh, no, no, we need more troops. We need more funding. We've got to stay there. We've got to complete the mission. No end in sight. It's the same thing here. When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Generals are massively pro-war. Go figure. So it's not like he frames it as if like, what about generals? Oh, would you listen to the end of the generals? And the setup is, if you say no, well, aren't you unserious? Like, that's the setup to it, when, of course, it's the exact opposite. The unserious thing is the fucking question. Everything framed from a right-wing perspective, a pro-war perspective, a pro-fiscal conservative perspective. Hey, you pay for it. Hey, you pay for it. Never how you going to pay for it for war. Did you notice that? Never that. But how you going to pay for it for anything that helps average people? Insufferable, but still, Bernie knocked it out of the park. Okay, next, beach. One of my favorite stories, Julian Castro. So Julian Castro has zero bucks left to give because he knows he's polling insanely low and he basically has no shot. So now he's throwing Hail Marys and haymakers left and right, and it's kind of awesome. I'm not going to lie. So he went after Biden here, and you're going to see he also – just nailed Mayor Pete as well. Um, there are a few different back and forths here from different parts of the debate, but it's well worth it. Take a look. The difference between what I support and what you support, Vice President Biden, is that you require them to opt in. And I would not require them to opt in. They would automatically be enrolled. They wouldn't have to buy in. That's a big difference because Barack Obama's vision was not to leave 10 million people uncovered. And if he wanted every single person in this country covered, my plan would do that. Your plan would they not. They do not have to buy in. They do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. Are you forgetting what you said a minute 
automatically enrolls people regardless of whether they choose to opt in or not. If you lose your job, for instance, his, his health care plan would not automatically enroll you. You would have to opt in. My health care plan would. That's a big difference. I'm fulfilling, fulfilling the legacy of Barack Obama, and you're not. That would be a surprise to him. are becoming unwatchable. Yeah. Well, we're we're reminds everybody of what they cannot stand about Washington. Can scoring I? points against each other, Can poking I? at each other, and telling each other that, that you're my plan, your plan. Look, we all yeah, that's have called the Democratic primary election. Better be about it. called an election. That's an election. You know, this is what we're here for. It's an election. Answer the question. Well, the question is, did you, make question. A, no, did you make a mistake with those deportations? The president did the best thing that was able to be done at the How about time. you? I'm the vice president of the United States. Uh, Secretary Castro. Um, but my problem with Vice President Biden, and Corey pointed this out last time, is every time something good about Barack Obama comes up, he says, oh, I was there, I was there, I was there. That's me, too. And then every time somebody questions part of the administration that we were both part of, he says, well, that was the president. I mean, he wants to take credit for Obama's work, but not have to answer any questions. That was good, man. I'm sorry. He did really well there. I said it early on. When he did his launch video, it was the goofiest thing I've ever seen because he was so fake, such a politician, so scripted, and I, and it was just terrible. But then I've seen him do a few um, interviews since his launch where he genuinely appears to be miserable. And he's a much better politician when he looks miserable. <laughs> when he's trying to be too on script, it's like, ugh, you're so insufferable. But when he's, like, miserable and he's just like, fuck it, I'm going for it, he's so much better. So I actually enjoyed that thoroughly. Um, the first part of did you forget what you said two minutes ago? I mean, come on, man. It is a legitimate question about Biden's cognitive health. It absolutely is. I'm sorry, it is. It's not an issue because of his age. It's an issue because of the cognitive decline. You know, I don't see any cognitive decline at all in Bernie. There's none. But in Biden, I see it. I see it. It's there. Um, you know, there's no way you can talk me out of that because I've seen it with my own eyes. So for him to, like, subtly point that out, totally fair game, 100%. And I'm happy he did it. And, of course, mainstream media is siding with Biden. Why? They're like, sir, how could you? That's very, very uncivil and impolite. We're trying to figure out who the most powerful person on the planet will be who's the commander-in-chief of the world's sole superpower military, the biggest military the world has ever seen. And you're saying it's out of bounds to talk about the cognitive health of said person? That is so in bounds. It's the most inbounds thing I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> so I actually enjoyed that. Um, but my favorite moment wasn't even the back and forth with Biden. It was the Mayor Pete moment. Because Mayor Pete oh my God, it's so smarmy and it's so disingenuous and it's so planned out. The whole, like, because it happens in every single debate that has ever been done, ever. Maybe, like, the first two or three times, it was like, oh, okay, that's a good line. But since then, it's just, it's so scripted. Where they go, they wait for the right moment when somebody's bickering and they're like, Sam, Sam, this is why some people hate Washington, D.C. Because of the bickering and the cheap point scoring and the arguing. Yeah. 
and um, Julian Castro doesn't skip a beat, and he's like, this is a primary election. This is like the point. This is why we're here, to have the debate and the discussion and the disagreement and figure out where everybody stands so people can vote for who they want to vote for. And the best part, and please don't take my word for it, you go back and you watch it. There's a, like a little two-second snippet there after Julian Castro nails Mayor Pete for just being so scripted and so obnoxious and so arrogant and so smarmy. And then Mayor Pete, he knows he got caught because you see it in his face. You see, like he wasn't expecting somebody to hit him with like the, are you serious? This is an election. This is why we're here. What are you talking about? He wasn't expecting for somebody to so thoroughly nail him. Because he was expecting, you know, like, you know, Mr. The fake Julian, who's like, I'm going right to my talking points. That's what he was expecting. And Julian was like, nah, gloves off, bitch. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hit you with it. And so Mayor Pete has this look on his face like, all right, you know what? He kind of got me on that one, didn't he? <laughs> you can see it in his eyes. His eyes are like, oh, you got me. You got me. Go back and look at it. I guarantee you, you'll see that look in his face. Um, and then finally... Another great moment. This was later on in the debate, but I threw it in there. The deportation moment where he's like, um, Jorge Ramos is like, so do you, were the deportations a mistake? Because they called him the deporter-in-chief. There were like three million deportations. Now, in their defense, many of them were criminals and undocumented immigrants. It wasn't just random undocumented immigrants. However, there were many who were deported who were not criminals. So it's a perfectly fair question to say, hey, man, you deported a lot of people. Was that a mistake? And Biden does what Biden does. Deportations. We talking about deportations? I don't even know nothing about no deportations. Yeah, but you were... Oh, that's what Obama did. Obama? I don't even know no Obama. Who's Obama? You talking about Obama? I don't even know nobody named Obama, bro. <laughs> and he's like... He was like, I was the vice president. In other words, that's him saying, I wasn't the president. I wasn't the president. I'm the vice president. So, it wasn't me, son. I don't know what I'm talking about. And, but of course, and Julian Castro points this out and doesn't miss a beat. He's like, every time there's anything positive that Obama does, you're more than willing to take credit for it and do a, you know, a dance in the end zone. And act like, yes, that was me, Obama, Biden, Obama, Biden, Obama, Biden. I'm the continuation of Obama. Isn't Obama great? Isn't Biden great? Obama, Biden, Obama, Biden, Obama, Obama, Biden. Hey, what about that bad thing Obama did? Obama? I don't even know no damn Obama. We talking about Obama? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Hey, listen, man. I have to say, I take no pride in saying this, because I think he's largely full of shit, but (laughs) miserable Julian Castro, I like (laughs) I love miserable Julian Castro, but only when he's miserable. He's got to be miserable for me to like him. Um, but, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Don't listen to the mainstream media bobblehead goofballs who are like, He went too far, sir. Become the Villator. The Villator. Don't listen to them. They're full of shit. Anybody who is watching that with just an open mind was going... Damn, body blow. Damn, body blow. Damn, knockout punch. That's what I saw there nonstop. So, now, don't get me wrong. Julian Castro is so far back and so low in the polls that it doesn't doesn't mean anything. But 
it was still wonderful to watch. All right, let's go to Andrew Yang. So Andrew Yang did something pretty creative during the debate last night. Um, During the opening statement, he announced that he's doing his own trial universal basic income program. Watch. In America today, everything revolves around the almighty dollar. Our schools, our hospitals, our media, even our government. It's why we don't trust our institutions anymore. We have to get our country working for us again instead of the other way around. We have to see ourselves as the owners and shareholders of this democracy rather than inputs into a giant machine. When you donate money to a presidential campaign, what happens? The politician spends the money on TV ads and consultants, and you hope it works out. It's time to trust ourselves more than our politicians. That's why I'm going to do something unprecedented tonight. My campaign will now give a freedom dividend of $1,000 a month for an entire year to 10 American families someone watching this at home right now. If you believe that you can solve your own problems better than any politician, go to yang2020.com and tell us how $1,000 a month will help you do just that. This is how we will get our country working for us again, the American people. So there's a reason I kept in that little bit extra there for you to see. Kamala Harris laughing at it, Mayor Pete smugly being like, it's original, I'll give you that. And then he goes into his boring-ass dumb speech. The American people are divided. I'm going to say words now. Do you like my words? There's a reason I kept that, that part in at the end. Because when I first watched that, Honestly, my reaction was I was relatively indifferent, okay? They made a big de- Andrew Yang's campaign made a big deal about this before. Andrew Yang's going to do something amazing at the debate tomorrow night that nobody's ever done. It's going to be so great. And there were, like, a bunch of articles about speculating. And then right before the debate, news broke. He's going to do his own trial UBI program. Now, this is news, but he also has done a version of this previously. I don't know if he did it with just one person or a handful of people previously, but he has done his trial UBI program. He's just doing it now with more people. Um, but my reaction was like indifferent. I was just like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. But I didn't care. It wasn't like a big deal to me. I flipped a little bit and I'm more on Andrew Yang's side now, specifically because of the smug ass reactions of Kamala Harris and, and Mayor Pete. Because Kamala Harris and Mayor Pete are just like typical smarmy standard politicians. And so they're like, look at this man doing something different and interesting. They're like, you know, they're the, like, color-in-the-lines kind of people. Kamala's um, opening statement was like, let me talk directly to Donald Trump. And then at the end of it, she was like, and now you can go back to watching Fox News. It's so, so scripted, so standard, so predictable, so boring. So, I mean, I, 
I'm just, I, I follow politics so closely and I've done it for so long that it's like, it's so snooze fest to me. I'm watching it and I'm like, <laughs> Mayor Pete's was the worst. You saw the beginning. Imagine people are divided. Oh, Pete, what a wonderful, brilliant thought. Oh, yes. Did you read that in a fucking fortune cookie dipshit? I hate it. I hate it so much. So, uh, honestly, because of the smug reaction from the establishment characters, that kind of made me like it even more. Because, again, while I don't support Andrew Yang, at least he's different. At least he's, like, actually, he actually has something he's running on that he cares deeply about, universal basic income. He's actually his own person with his own ideas, and he actually is running on those ideas, and he's trying things out. And it's just so obnoxious and annoying that you got these, like, just cookie-cutter politicians who are, like, looking down at him. Well, guess what, Kamala? You're laughing at him. He's tied with you. He's tied with you, and nobody knew who he was seven and a half minutes ago. So, you know, enough with the smug. <laughs> You're laughing. Well, guess what? The ten people who are going to be getting $1,000 a month, they ain't laughing. They're happy as a motherfucker. So I, I like the idea. Again, I'm not even – I'm a supporter of universal basic income. I don't think I support it the way Yang crafted his own. I would do a, a further left version of UBI than he's doing. Um, but that's neither here nor there. He's doing something interesting and new, and he's getting nothing but scorn from the establishment. Well, guess what? He's polling better than at least 10 establishment figures. So he's actually offering something interesting. Again, you know, I could go into all my disagreements with Yang now, and I have many of them, and his people don't like it when I talk about those disagreements, but I don't give a shit because I do have disagreements with him. And, you know, it makes sense to point them out in the context of covering him. However, again, the fact that he's trying something new and interesting and the establishment people are, like, looking down at him, that just makes me like it even more. And I say to him, keep going, man, because, God, they're, they offer nothing. Like, what are Mayor Pete and, and Kamala Harris bringing to this race other than boring, predictable centrism? Best-case scenario. Best-case scenario, they would be Obama-esque in how they govern. So I got no interest in them. And I can see why, even though I'm not in Yang Gang, I see why some people are attracted to him as a candidate. Because at least he's trying stuff, and at least there are some new ideas. Let's go to Beto. So Beto O'Rourke took a pretty interesting stand in the debate, and I'm curious what you all think about this. Check it out. Congressman O'Rourke, because I know this is personal to you. El Paso is your hometown. Some on this stage have suggested a voluntary buyback for guns in this country. You've gone further. You said, quote, Americans who own AR-15s and AK-47s will have to sell them to the government, all of them. You know, the critics call this confiscation. Are you proposing taking away their guns, and how would this work? I am. If it's a weapon that was designed to kill people on a battlefield, if the 
high-impact, high-velocity round, when it hits your body, shreds everything inside of your body because it was designed to do that so that you would bleed to death on a battlefield and not be able to get up and kill one of our soldiers. When we see that being used against children, and in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an AR-15, and that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15 in Odessa and Midland. There weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. Of, 
not totally sold on it, but I lean in favor of it. Um, but there is a distinction between banning assault weapons from here on out and retroactively doing a mandatory buyback program, which is a gun confiscation program, which that I'm not, I'm sorry, but, and maybe you guys will say I'm crazy for this, but I don't, that does seem to go a little too far for me. Mandatory gun confiscation. And I get it. His argument would be it's not for all guns. It's only for certain guns. True. So that is more reasonable than if it were a mandatory confiscation for all guns. But And that, by the way, wouldn't be constitutional. But that's the other point is that there actually is a question as to whether or not what he's asking to do is constitutional. Because, you know, a follow-up question should have been, hey, do you mean trying to get that through Congress? Because that's one thing. Or do you mean like you, Beto O'Rourke, would do it through some sort of executive action, which is, I would say that's definitely unconstitutional. It's not unconstitutional to say we're going to get rid of assault weapons. That's not unconstitutional at all. But the specifics of how you go about doing that matter massively, whether it's an executive action, which would be unconstitutional. Um, I don't, it, there might be a legal battle over whether or not it's constitutional to do it retroactively and do basically fundamentally a gun confiscation program. That may or may not be constitutional. That would have to be adjudicated. I don't know. There's a lot of, like, gray area here. But some people gave him a lot of credit for taking this position. Other people, like myself, are torn. And then there's a lot of people who are just against it. And putting aside the, what I think on the substance of it, the optics of it, like how it will play out politically, I don't think it will play out good. Like, in other words, I don't think this will actually give him – I think he took this stand, at least in part, because he knows he's got to swing for the fences because he's so down in the polls. And he said, I'm going to take a stand on like this issue, but I don't think this is, um, I don't think it's going to help him as much as he thinks it is. I think he thought like, oh yeah, I'm going to make an impression. It'll be this. And it's just not one of those issues that lends itself to outflanking everybody. Definitely being a good thing. Whereas there are many issues where if you outflank people on their left, it hundred percent is a good thing. You know, like if you outflank people on Medicare for All, if you outflank people on free college, a living wage, unions, ending wars, like all those things, if you take a position and you like go to the left of everybody, that'll play well. This is one of those issues where I don't know because he's not like taking a giant stand for a, a, a position polling at 90%, universal background check, not doing it for banning high-capacity magazines or whatever, which is still very popular. It's like a program of a mandatory buyback, which is confiscation of certain weapons. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little bit too American-centric in my thought here because I know that if you we have this conversation in the context of any other developed country, they'd be like, are you crazy? He's only talking about taking, like, guns that are weapons of war. Yeah, there's no problem with that at all. Maybe I'm biased by the political context I live in because, you know, I lean in the direction. My default instinct is always more towards, on social issues, freedom. That's my default instinct. doesn't mean you can't have regulation, but it does mean that you want to lean on freedom as much as possible. So, for example, you know, like the vape thing that just happened with Trump and their administration is banning fruity-flavored vapes. My, my reaction to that is like, fuck off. No. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. I should be able to, you know, if I want that, I should be able to have that. So... To an extent that goes to fire, that bleeds into firearms, but it's like, where do you draw the line? Obviously, I'm in favor of plenty of regulation. You know, obviously, I'm in favor of licensing and background checks and certain guns you can't buy, and that's obvious. 
But, like, where are the lines? And I think one of the lines that I'm not comfortable with is some sort of mandatory buyback or gun confiscation thing. Um, so, anyway, very curious what you guys think here. I am expecting the like to dislike on this video to be terrible because <laughs> this is one of those issues where you're actually going to get plenty of people on both sides of it. Um, so there's almost no way that everybody watching this is going to agree with me, but that's okay. I'm just curious what everybody thinks about it because I was very torn when I was listening to it. Okay, Elizabeth Warren time. So Elizabeth Warren was asked about Obama's support of TPP, and um, she gave a pretty solid answer on trade in general here. This conversation, President Obama signed the Trans-Pacific Partnership in part. It was designed to rein in China, to bring China in uh, to some kind of regulation. What do you think he got wrong? So our trade policy in America has been broken for decades. And it has been broken because it works for giant multinational corporations and not for much of anyone else. These are giant corporations that, shoot, if they can save a nickel by moving a job to a foreign country, they'll do it in a heartbeat. And yet, for decades now, he's been whispering in the ears of our trade negotiators who has shaped our trade policy. It's been the giant corporations. It's been their lobbyists and their executives. The way we change our trade policy in America is first, the procedures. Who sits at the table? I want to negotiate trade with unions at the table. I want to negotiate it with small farmers at the table. I want to negotiate it with environmentalists at the table. I want to negotiate with human rights activists at the table. And you asked the question about leverage. If I can just respond to that one. The leverage? Are you kidding? Everybody wants access to the American market. That means that we have the capacity to say right here in America, you want to come sell goods to American consumers? Then you've got to raise your standards. You've got to raise your labor standards, and you've got to raise your environmental standards so our companies can compete on a level playing field. We can use trade not to undermine American workers and not to undermine American farms and not to undermine small businesses in this country. We can use trade to help build a stronger economy. That was good. I mean, that was just really populist. She hammered home her arguments there. Again, man, um, she's a very she's a very interesting candidate because in so many ways she lets us down, and then in so many ways she does well. You know, um, I don't want anybody to get it twisted and think she's as good as Bernie Sanders because that's just not true. It, let me be clear. If you have the ideology that I have and that many of my audience have, if you believe in robust social democracy or if you're further left than that, she's not as good as Bernie is. You know, um, there was that video clip from months ago where she went on uh, the Young Turks and Cenk was talking to her and 
she said, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm not taking any big money in the primary. And then Cenk was like, what about the general? She was like, yeah, I'm going to take money in the general. Why? Well, I don't believe in unilateral disarmament. But hold on. The argument that you make during the primary is that money is a corrupting influence. So that dynamic doesn't magically disappear in the general. Money is still a corrupting influence. So if you're taking big money in the general, why are we supposed to just think you're somehow above the dynamic that you admit exists? The dynamic of corruption. Taking money from big donors, you want to help them out. You want to do their bidding. That's the way it works. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. So if you take that big money, why do you expect people to trust you? They shouldn't. They shouldn't trust you. That Her military uh, record, voting for Donald Trump's bloated, disgusting military budget. I mean, what do you want me to say, man? <laughs> I didn't make you vote that way. You voted that way. So I'm going to criticize you when you do the wrong thing. Um, but, and this is perhaps where I differ from many people, I'll also credit her when she does the right thing. And um, where she is just incredibly solid is Wall Street policy, is tax policy, and it's trade policy. So though that's where she shines. And, you know, you guys know if you watch this show on a regular basis, I've given her massive credit for she's the one who pushed Obama to do the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, um, which returned about $12 billion to defrauded Americans. And I know because I was one of the beneficiaries of that. I was one of the people who was defrauded. You know, they, uh, they, set, they sold me a bullshit identity theft protection thing where they were just taking my money. There was no actual identity theft protection. So to that I say, thank you, Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> she looked out for us. So it, the reason I'm showing you this clip is, number one, it was a good answer. But also, number two, people, I, I think people need to try to do better at nuance, okay? And what I mean by that is you should never get it twisted in thinking she's as good as America's dad, Bernie Sanders. She's just not. She's just not. Um, but at the same time, I do not agree with people who say she's just flat out Hillary Clinton 2.0. That's not true. Biden is, sure. <laughs> is, uh, you know, is Amy Klobuchar and John Delaney? Yeah, they represent, like openly represent that corporatist right-wing democratic worldview. That's what they represent. Elizabeth Warren, for all her flaws, and she has many, many, is not Hillary Clinton. She's not John Delaney. She's not Amy Klobuchar. She's not Joe Biden. But we also have to be comfortable in saying she ain't no Bernie Sanders either. Okay? So, um, but nonetheless, that was a good answer on trade, and uh, she deserves credit for that answer, and she deserves credit for hitting populist themes on domestic economic policy. All right, next. So Mayor Pete didn't have a great night last night. Um, and there was a moment when he wasn't getting schooled by Julian Castro, of all people. <laughs> Julian Castro owned him. It was hilarious. And I can't fathom getting owned by Julian Castro. That's just so sad. But um, when he wasn't getting owned by Julian Castro, he took a really terrible pot shot at Medicare for All. The, the problem, so 
Senator Sanders with that damn bill that you wrote and that Senator Warren backs is that it doesn't trust the American people. I trust you to choose what makes the most sense for you, not my way or the highway. Now, look, I think we do have to go far beyond tinkering with the ACA. I propose Medicare for all who want it. We take a version of Medicare, we make it available for the American people, and if we're right as progressives that that public alternative is better, then the American people will figure that out for themselves. I trust the American people to make the right choice for them. Why don't you? That response is nonsense. Uh, so let's break this down. He leads with, the problem with your bill is you don't trust the American people. You have to let them make a choice. Choice is so wonderful. So I've made this argument about a thousand times on this show, but I'll continue to, and nobody else is making this point, which is a shame. I wish people would start making this point. But there are certain things where the concept of choice is kind of hilarious and ridiculous. So for example, the fire department. The idea of like, oh, we're going to sell you a fire protection package. Here it is. Which rooms do you want protected? You want your bedroom protected? You want your kitchen protected? Do you want your living room protected? Because that's extra. What do you want? Here's a package. You pick. If you have that conversation with people, they'll be like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? You're the fire department. Something catches fire. You come and put it out. No questions asked. Free at the point of service. End of conversation. That's how everybody thinks about it. You want to know why? Because we're used to that. So if you try to introduce choice into the equation, people will be like, bitch, this is not about like what flavor of donut I want. This is about there's a fire. Come put it out. The notion of choice in healthcare not only is equally absurd, it might even be more absurd. Why? Because what do you mean choice of health insurance? What does that mean? Oh, I want the package that covers my spleen, but I don't want the one that covers my kidney. I want the one that covers cancer. I don't want the one that covers heart disease. What are you talking about? No. Sick help. Sick help. That's how it works. You should be able to go to whatever doctor you want. End of conversation. No roadblocks, no nothing. No, that's out of network like the private uh, you know, companies hit you with all the time. So with their, the idea of introducing choice in an area where it should be a right is comical. It's actually beyond silly, but he invokes that because he knows that that ideology is so deeply embedded in the American psyche that it invokes the reaction of people being like, yeah, yeah, why are you taking away my choice? Imagine saying to somebody, why are you taking away my choice of fire department? Why are you taking away my choice of fire insurance? It'd be ridiculous. So that's why that's ridiculous. Now, furthermore, he, the, the issue with what he's proposing is it's effectively still turning over control of the marketplace to private mafia-like middlemen. Any proposal that isn't full Medicare for all, okay, whether it's the Jayapal bill or the Bernie Sanders bill, any proposal but those two is fundamentally just gaslighting the American people to protect the profits of the for-profit health insurance companies and protect the status quo to one extent or another. Some go a little further, some don't go far at all, but to one extent or another, all the other candidates, unless they're in favor of flat-out Medicare for all, they are protecting the status quo and screwing over the American people. Because 
basically what Mayor Pete is saying is, why don't you give people the choice to be screwed over by a mafia-like middleman who's going to price gouge them for no reason? That's what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. So that's why it's incredibly frustrating, because it's a smug response, and I think he knows that that response is kind of bullshit, but he's going with it anyway because he's trying to differentiate himself between Bernie, and he's trying to have his cake and eat it too, where he says, no, 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 I'm in favor of Medicare for all, but it's Medicare for all who want it. So you can get this public option, or you can you know, keep your, keep your mafia ripping you off. It's one or the other. And also, by the way, what would usually happen in a hybrid system like that is the uh, private insurance companies would try to basically tank the public system and just dump everybody off who's sick and likely to be sick on that system, and the healthy people stay in the private system because they want more profit. And you overload the public system to try to uh, bring down the, the quality of the care there. So that's the like, detailed answer as to why his response here is just utter nonsense and why it's shameful, and why it's abysmal. And, um, man, it really frustrates me because now you have so many candidates who are pretending like they are for Medicare for All or a version of it, but they're not. What they're in favor of is fundamentally not Medicare for All. So they're trying to leech off the popularity of the real deal Holyfield while not actually walking the walk and talking the talk. And, and pushing for the things that would actually fix the system. So they're smart enough to know I can't buck the trend here, but they're still corrupt, so they've got to weasel their way through where they act like, I'm totally for it, and by that I mean I'm not for it at all. And it's just so frustrating. Like, at least be honest and be like, no, I'm not for it, and my plan is not that, <laughs> and et cetera. But they don't do that. They go right to, oh, no, no I'm totally, totally, bro. I'm for it, but let me tell you why it's so wrong. <laughs> It's so frustrating. All right, final story of the day here, and we're done with the debate breakdown, but I have some amazing, interesting news for you that I think you guys are going to be excited to hear about. I was certainly excited to do it, but here we go. So I just did an interview with America's dad, Bernie Sanders. I just spoke to him. Um, It was before the debate breakdown show today. So in other words, he did the debate, woke up the next morning, and he spoke to yours truly. (laughs) Do I feel special? Yes, I do. Um, However, it was a relatively short interview. But anyway, you can go check it out. By the time this segment hits YouTube, the interview will already be up on YouTube. Um, But what I want to do is tell you what it was like interviewing him and how I think he did, and then also the things that I had planned to ask him that I didn't have enough time to ask, because I obviously had so many questions for him, and they just didn't have the time. You know, he only had like about 15 minutes or so. So uh, we didn't have the time to get into so many other questions that I wanted to ask him. But um, right off the bat, I was impressed with his answers, because to so many questions, his answer was just like, absolutely. What, and when I was crafting the questions, I was thinking, and again, go watch that before you watch this. Okay, if you're on YouTube watching this, stop. Go watch the Bernie Sanders interview first that I did with him. I'll leave it in the video description box. Um, but 
questions that I thought he might not be totally on board with, he was just like, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, of course. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Which is good because that's America's dad. And, you know, so, so often he goes above and beyond, and you're like, wow, he's really the guy we think he is. And he's really fighting for the things that we want him to fight for. So first impressions, it, I almost felt like here I thought I was presenting a bunch of slightly more difficult questions, but he still handled them incredibly smoothly and gave pretty much the right answer. I mean, there were a few where I, he wasn't as strong as I would want him to be, but that's just his, we just have a slight difference of opinion on timelines for certain things and so on and so forth. But anyway, I digress from that. Um, here are the questions that I wanted to ask him, but I didn't have enough time. And I just want everybody to know that these would have been asked if we had the time. So don't think like, oh, Kyle left this issue out or this issue out, and that's not cool. Because I had planned likely to ask about the thing that you're mad I didn't ask about. So I had a question plan that was Edward Snowden revealed the NSA was unconstitutionally spying on all Americans. Julian Assange is being pursued by the Trump administration, not for anything involving the 2016 election, but for exposing U.S. war crimes. And Chelsea Manning is currently being persecuted as we speak for leaking that information to Julian Assange. Will a Bernie Sanders presidency, would you pardon or commute the sentences for these people? That was one question. I unfortunately didn't have the time to get to it. Um, I would have been really interested in his answer there. Another question that I didn't have time to get to is, um, if you agree that drug addiction is a medical issue, then how can you not support decriminalizing drugs beyond marijuana? So shouldn't addicts of all substances get treatment, and shouldn't none of them be criminalized? That's another question that I wanted to ask, but unfortunately I didn't have the time to get to. Uh, another one, which I'm really mad I missed this one, and I had to prioritize under the gun, so I just, you know, I just missed this one, but I'm, I shouldn't have, and it's annoying, but I didn't have that much time. But what I wanted to ask him was, um, in 2016, every single poll had you beating Hillary Clinton by a wider margin. Um, or, excuse me, you beating Trump by a wider margin than Hillary Clinton, okay? And you polled particularly well in the states that matter most in the general election, in the Rust Belt. So I think Bernie would have won. Do you think Bernie would have won? And I would have been very interested to hear his answer there. I actually think he may have been asked this once before, and his answer was yes, Bernie would have won. But I think he was slightly coy about it, where I would have tried to get him on the record like very clearly. Um, there's a lightning round where I, I want to hit him with policies and have him give me yes, no, or maybe. Uh, he's too thoughtful for that, unfortunately. <laughs> but ones I didn't get to was asking him about a direct ballot initiative law where every time there's a, a presidential election, you vote on the top three or five issues affecting the American people. So like directly voting on should we legalize marijuana, directly voting on should we end the Iraq war, directly voting on all these important issues and doing like three or five every election year, every presidential election year. Uh, I didn't get a chance to ask him about uh, the idea of social security for all. So universal basic income reframed as social security for all. I didn't get a chance to ask him about uh, chaining the capital gains rate to the income tax rate. I was going to throw that out there. Um, and another one I was going to ask him about in the rapid fire uh, section was, 
should we legalize, tax, and regulate sex work to get it off of the dangerous black market? And I think he's not in favor of that, but I maybe would have pressed a little bit on that. And then also I was going to ask him about um, treating social media like a public utility and expanding the First Amendment. And I, I don't think he's ever been asked that before, and I'd be very curious to see what his response is. My guess is he would say, like, oh, I haven't thought about that yet. I need more time to think about it, whatever. But I would have liked to throw that out there. Um, and then also, super important but didn't get to, was um, I know that you don't support BDS of all of Israel, but how about BDS of just the illegal settlements? And if you're against that, how do you – how can you be against it? Because this tactic worked in apartheid South Africa. So isn't it like a moral imperative? If – Palestinians can't resist with violence because that's immoral, then isn't a nonviolent approach the only way? So how can you be against that? I was going to ask that. And then finally, I was going to say, what's your specific plan on corruption and money in politics? Do you support um, a constitutional amendment? Do you support an executive order? Do you support um, some sort of uh, public financing of elections bill, some specific bill? So I was going to get a little more in detail with that. But anyway, those are the ones that I didn't get a chance to ask but I did get to ask a lot of good ones. And I had one, um, you know, like, jokey-jokey thing at the end where I asked him his opinion. I asked him LeBron James or Michael Jordan. He gave a very interesting answer there. But the other jokey-jokey ones I didn't get to are Big Ear Tupac and Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. But anyway, those are the things I didn't get to ask him that I wanted to ask him, but I did get to ask him a lot of really interesting stuff, and you will see that. Um, it, it's already released by the time you're watching this. Um, but if you're listening to it live, then uh, it'll be released on Sunday. But anyway, America's dad, Bernard Sanders, it was a great uh, interview, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay. We're done here, y'all. Love you. I'll talk to all you guys soon. Enjoy your weekend. Peace. I'm out.